Trees and water, the two go hand in hand and each one moulds and influences the other in so many ways. Michael Summers is a forestry advisor with Chagas Kirkenny and I meet him in Oak Park Forest in Carlow where he first explains the role of trees in flood mitigation. Trees, the canopy of trees, slow down the runoff of moisture into both the soil and the water courses. And 70% of the total moisture that hits a canopy of a tree, it doesn't hit the ground. Only 30% hits the ground because it's cut by the canopy and then evapotranspiration allows it back into the, um, the atmosphere again and it, it'll fall at some other stage but evapotranspiration working with the trees will protect water courses because you don't have the same speed of runoff. In fact, trees are often planted with this in mind and in some countries whole forests are planted to protect against weather events and natural hazards. They're called protection forests. There's a lot of protection forests in Europe to protect again avalanche. You look at in, in Switzerland in particular. You go to Denmark um, because you have a lot of dunes up, up there, uh, particularly in Jutland. You see a lot of Corsican pine planted as a protected woodland. And it's the same thing here. Their waterways on the continent, this is, this is science going back thousands of years. They have been planted to reduce flooding. That's their primary management function. And one of the things, I suppose, as we're moving to a more urban population in Ireland, because we were 50-50 up to relatively recently, now we're at 60-40, these urban centres will require protection. And one of the ways of protecting them is the use of native woodland to reduce flooding moving down the ri- moving down rivers. And uh, it, it just holds the moisture for a lot longer and continuous cover has a huge role in that and again continuous cover does not necessarily have to be native or non-native but it can be managed in that in in, in that equilibrium and as we're moving along in this forestry journey uh, definitely 20 30 40 years ago or indeed when forestry started it was to be self-sufficient in timber but we're definitely moving into an area of more environmental services Water quality being a big one, carbon, uh, insect life, uh, biodiversity. And like all things, it's a delicate balance because what trees are planted and where they're planted and how they're managed and harvested has an impact on the ecosystem as a whole. If you look at the water cycle and maybe where our water systems have come from, trees have evolved with rivers over centuries. It's not that it's happened overnight. There's, uh, but because we had a huge amount of planting in maybe the mid-90s, we did not follow a lot of environmental guidelines that time, so we would have planted right up to river lines. And as a result, when the trees got bigger, the light wasn't hitting the bottom of the rivers. And as a result, the, the insect life and the plant life and the water, the water insect life completely died. So now what we have is we have set back distances uh, from from rivers and uh, it's only right and proper and correct. So it's five and ten metres for both broadleaves and conifers respectively. So that big shadow is not cast to the bottom of, 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 of rivers and it allows um, 
more species to live because once you have is there's no difference between um water invertebrates and soil invertebrates if if you have um species living there the fish has something to feed off of the birds have something to feed off of. so that's why there was um various uh, rules and regulations that was brought in and one of those uh, would have been the native woodland scheme which is looking at uh, protecting of water courses Another project, a scientific research project called HydroSED, is also looking at the relationship between trees and water. In this instance, it's looking at the relationship between the loss of sediment from the soil following tree harvesting and its impact on water courses. So a certain amount of sediment is natural in streams, um, but excess sediment can be introduced through the process of erosion. And when this happens to a a greater degree than is naturally found in a system, the effect can can be detrimental. So large amounts of sediment on its own in streams and rivers is already a recognized environmental stressor. But on top of this, sediment can carry and transport other contaminants like nutrients or pesticides, and that can damage rivers even further. And, And where forestry comes into that is that there's a long recognized association between forestry activities such as harvesting or clear filling and soil erosion. And so far there's not been one research project in Ireland that has has focused solely on assessing the hydrological or or the sediment impacts of forestry operations. So Ireland is is looking to increase its forest land cover from the about 11% that it currently stands at to 18% in the next 20 20 years or so. And at the same time, we're also seeking to meet the EU Water Framework Directive requirement to have good ecological status by 2027. So so the Hydrocide project is really crucial in terms of providing results that might allow for both of these targets to be achieved. This is Eileen Vaughan. She's originally from Cross Patrick in County Kilkenny, and she's doing her PhD in UCD on water and sediment. She's in the early stages of research at the moment and this involves obtaining baseline data from rivers and streams before any trees are cut. So we have sites in Wicklow and in Leash and in Offaly at the moment with further sites that are yet to be chosen. But in these sites we we have instrumented and we placed turbidity sensors. So turbidity is just really a word that describes the clarity of the water, so how much suspended sediment there is in, in the water. And, and these sensors, they give us readings every 15 minutes as to the depth and the temperature and the turbidity or the clarity of the water. Um, so one of our sites in, in the Wicklow Mountains, it's set to be clear felt soon. And the data that we're collecting now will be used to show whether there's a significant increase in the amount of sediment that is loaded into the streams during and after the the clear felling operations. Uh, then after clear felling, there'll be windrowing and reforestation. And these are all operations that we're, we're hoping to track and capture in our data. So as well as this, um, other than just the turbidity monitoring, we're also looking into the biological aspects of the project at the moment. So again, looking at the, the pre-operational rate of deposition of sediment, um, and this will be used to assess the potential physical and ecological impacts of of the forestry operations downstream and what this means for the water quality status of rivers and streams. 
for all forestry operations, you're going to have heavy machinery that are going to be used. So like harvesters and what are called for forwarders and skidders. And the effect that these have on soils is actually to compact them. And what, what that does is it, it lowers the ability of the soil to allow water to pass through and, and it lowers, lowers the potential for vegetation to grow. So for any, any other vegetation to grow. And that ultimately leads to a greater amount of soil erosion. So as well as that, on wetter soils, you can get a lot of rotting. So this is what happens when tires sink into the soil and they cause trenches and this displaces the soil and damages the soil again and causes further compaction and, and therefore erosion. In a previous episode in this programme series, we would have heard about the processes involved in thinning and clear felling a forest. We would have heard about what brash mats means, for instance. So it is the branches that are stripped off the tree as it has been cut, and it is the top of the tree. So what we do is, those are put under the machine, right? So that the harvester, when it's harvesting, is not travelling directly on the ground. It's travelling on what we call this brash mat. Because you don't want to disturb the ground? To protect the ground. And here's why we want to protect the ground. What that does is it spreads out the weight of machinery and puts less pressure on the underlying soil. Um, as well as this, you have sediment traps with the idea of them being that sediment is allowed to settle out of the water before it enters streams and rivers. So, so this is water that would be accumulated in, in the drains and forests. And then you have buffer zones as well. So th- those are areas that are left kind of natural at the side of streams. Um, so they they help filter out sediment before it enters the stream as well because they're naturally vegetated. And, and these are just a few of the most common mitigation measures that are in place at the moment. But if these aren't done or if they're not maintained to a high standard, then the effects are minimalized really. So we're hoping to capture data that, that tells us whether these can be done more efficiently and the effect that these have and you know, on sites where, where mitigation measures aren't, aren't followed properly, you know, the, the effects can be, can be huge. Um, I've seen one study that, that suggests that the sediment can be continuously loaded into the water for up to four years after clear felling operations. So, I mean, that's, that's just a really long, prolonged time for sediment to be, to be entering streams and rivers. Having healthy, unpolluted watercourses is really important, not just for us, but for other species too. Say we're looking at the salmon, um, they, they are highly sensitive to sediment. Um, elevated levels of sediment affect them in a number of ways themselves. Um, for instance, if sediment is elevated on, say, a short-term basis, it can cause stress in the fish, and this has been seen to be the case on, on chemical levels within the fish species. So elevated levels of of corticosteroid and glucose, those show in the fish that they are stressed. And then if this is carried out on a long-term basis, well, then we have a population of fish that are undergoing prolonged levels of stress. And, but this ultimately, this, this will ultimately, like it, it will be reflected in the population where we can see a loss of fish community in, in the most extreme cases. But uh, sediment doesn't only affect fish, um, it affects the growth and reproduction and the mortality rates of species, of all species, so big and small. And how it does this is, is by bringing about the, the physical and the biological and the chemical changes in streams. So we're talking decreased visibility, changes in, in oxygen levels in the water, 
um, and and the transport of other contaminants like like pesticides and nutrients. So sediment can act as as a vector of transport. It, it can transport these pesticides and nutrients into the streams as well. And what this does is it creates a really stressful environment for a lot of creatures to live in. And ultimately, you're left with a really low quality river stream that's just very difficult for, for life to continue in. So that's why Eileen's work on the Hydrocide project at UCD is so important. We want to achieve the 18% forestry cover by 2046, and we want to achieve high ecological status in our rivers and streams by 2027. And both are, are necessary. And you don't need to compromise one for the other. And if we can come up with the results that show that that you can carry out forestry in, in a way that doesn't, that minimalizes the the environmental stress that it causes on rivers and streams, then, then there's nothing to say that it should stress out the stream so much. Some people don't like clear felling, the process of cutting down huge swathes of trees all in one go. It's the method that many farmers adopt here in Ireland when they plant trees for commercial purposes. But it's not the only way to grow trees. Continuous cover forestry is an alternative forestry management system. And I think one of the best ways to describe it to farmers is if you look at a tillage farmer, they cut their, all their crops every year. In forestry we call that a clear fell where all the trees are cut. In this it's more like breeding, it's more like cattle breeding where we pick the best trees, we mark them and then we mark out trees to take away. This method requires a bit of thinking and planning and looking ahead to your trees and imagining what they look like in the future. The Europeans are a bit ahead of us in this regard and the French use a system called martelloscope to pick and choose trees to cut down for thinning. It's the process of marking trees to allow new generation to come through. So what would be done here is the trees are marked and they're also their crown projections are marked as well. Their crown. So if you look up into the tree there, there's a crown from that cherry. But you see the way that it's round? And if the canopy of it. The canopy is round. Yeah. And if you looked in, we have an ash tree here and the canopy is not round. It's sort of square. Yeah. So to, for us to put any uh, increment or growth or wood on that tree, one of those trees have to be removed. So we've marked this one in red to keep and we've marked this cherry in blue to get rid of. Now you might say, why? That's a bigger tree. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is there's more commercial timber in him than there is in that tree. So our, it's also what we would call a wolf tree as well. So as you look up, there's a lot of forking and a lot of big branching. So we can take him out with the idea of allowing more space on the ground. So once you have light, you need three things for a plant to grow. You need soil, you need light and you need moisture. There is no or very little light getting onto the ground here. And you can see there's a lot of ivy, a lot of um, uh, buttercup, a lot of herb uh, robert, some bits of uh, wood rush, bits of briar. But the abundance of species, and we can see it later on as we go down through the martelloscope plots, is, is quite low. Mm. So to increase the amount of species that are getting through, including the new growth trees, we have to allow light in. Mm. Now that can't be done overnight, that has to be done over various uh, thinning cycles. Yeah. So once it, 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 it hits that kind of level, that sweet spot, you have better trees, bigger trees, farming straight trees, like this one here, that's... Um, that's a beech tree. Yeah. You see how straight it is. Yeah. Uh, that's a very valuable stem. Whereby, um, if you can see a tree then that's been taken out, you see where the forks are and the crevices are in the trees. Within the martelloscope system, 
not necessarily timber quality is taken into account. We also take into account biodiversity trees because for example, there might be dead wood lying or dead wood standing. There might be crevices in it. There might be cracks in it that will allow insect life in. There might be areas for birds. Like we're in, we're in Oak Park Forest here, and like believe it or not, the woodpecker is back after 300 years gone away. So, like uh, th- these species are coming through. And if you look on the ground, what do you see? Little baby oaks. Little baby oaks starting to creep up, and that's because you can see the light coming through in the canopy here. So there's a big difference in that canopy. And that canopy. Mm. So we have a lot of light just coming through here through that Scots Pine and it's already happening but we just have to give nature a hand. Nature will work with us if we give it a hand. Mm. So the whole thing is then that this place will then be self-sufficient to grow as it wants to grow and encourage you know once that kind of management touch is is taken that's basically it in a nutshell like if you go to germany they, they harvest 30 million cubic meters of timber every year but you never see a clear fell mm. and the reason for it is a lot of the management systems that would be going back there to the early 1600s is is involving this type of forestry whereby you're not doing a clear cut you're going in and you're managing you're marking and you're managing with the idea of allowing the next generation of trees up and uh, when people walk through this type of woodland they, they like it but the, but it's, 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 it's a combination of all both native and non-native species coming together mm. and uh, being managed and you can see here where the, all that beach in here has crept in all that has suckered in it was never physically planted but the seed was here the trees allowed the seed to fall to the ground and it just needed a little bit of help um, it, it had the side but it just needed moisture and it needed um, light mm-hmm. and once it got the three of them it, it, it started to work and what about, is this economically, the Mar Telescope, is it economically viable and valuable? Well, it would be very difficult to justify this on the management of Sitka spruce, which is the commercial tree. But for broadleaf trees, it's a different kettle of fish because the rotation lengths are so long. So like you're looking 25, 30 year rotation in Sitka, you're looking at a 100 year rotation here at minimum. Like ash would be, and I know there's ash dieback disease in the country, but like if we took it, outside of ash dieback disease that was a 40 year rotation uh, Scots Pine over there is about 60, 70 year rotation Cherry is an 80 year rotation Oak is a 120 year rotation now you look right across there you can say if, well if you plan it out and you have you have that income coming through every year so or every couple of years so like um, even on, on a thinning basis if you're thinning out you're thinning out and you're hitting certain species at different times the management is a little bit more intense but the, um, the results are here and you can see it. One of the other things was, we talk a, a lot about Clearfield, but there would be a high runoff of phosphorus in particular into water courses. After a Clearfield. After a Clearfield, because you have to bear in mind you have, look, if it's a hardwood Clearfield, you could have 100 years of it. If it's a conifer Clearfield, you have 30 years of, 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 of nutrients and that's not that's not hitting directly the ground and it's it's loose so when it starts when it starts rain you get a heavy you get heavy rain it just there's no place for it to go about the water courses and that has caused problems so on sensitive areas we're looking at continuous cover or indeed um not using chemicals on certain areas now forestry is almost chemical free almost uh there is one instigation where um there would be a chemical used but it's to protect the generation of trees coming behind and that's um, the spreading of urea for formes. but yeah so we have um, our water quality native woodland is the preferred tool 
mainly because it's predominantly broadleaf. You're also going to get an awful lot more light because it's broadleaf. And from light and shade, then you get an awful lot more uh, life within rivers. Mm. You also slow down the water because, like, well, I know we're in the Barrow catchment here, but if you go to the Nor catchment, it's the fastest flowing river in Europe. Mm. And that can have problems later on if the volumes of water increases. Mm. So uh, it has many benefits, and that's why it's a preferred tool to plant water courses with native woodland. Here's an interesting fact about trees. Trees do not die. Although old age can be a contributing factor, it is never the main cause of death for a tree. Trees are killed by elements which are outside their own control. These can include insects, the weather, or can be a result of people. However, when a tree gets old, it has more trouble protecting its inner heartwood, which means it cannot fight off damage as effectively as younger trees. Trees from seed to sawdust is funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine as part of the Woodland Support Project.